Hello, and welcome to the Church Newtown Square podcast. If we can serve you in any way, or if you'd like to learn more about our church family or the Acts 29 network, please visit us at churchnsq.org. That's C-H-V-R-C-H-N-S-Q dot org. And now, let's listen in to today's teaching. Well, I'm so excited to share the Word of God with you today. I can't believe we're just a week out from Christmas. It's crazy, right? Crazy how fast time flies, right? Well, the thing about Christmas is that it's a great time to um, have good conversations with people about Jesus and the Christmas story. My daughter, Cadence, who is four years old, is starting to show her curiosity about the faith a little bit more and more now, especially because of what she's learning about the Christmas story. And so she'll ask me a, like just a ton of different questions, and they'll vary anywhere from like, uh, did Jesus cry when he was born? right? Um, Did they throw Jesus a birthday party? If so, was it Paw Patrol themed? Um, uh, (laughs) Was Jesus from Delco? You know, did he like Wawa? Um, Was was Santa present at Jesus's birth too, right? And so all of these are great questions. And, uh, you know, as a parent, you kind of feel like you have to have answers to these questions or at least be prepared to do so, right? And so as she's asked me all these different questions, the only logical response I can think of in the moment is, I don't know, honey, go ask your mom. She knows everything. Uh, (laughs) No, but as Christians, the truth is that we will be asked questions about the faith, right? And uh, probably not as wide range as my daughter Cadence's questions, but we will be asked. And so we need to have answers to questions about the faith and be able to defend the faith. In fact, the Apostle Peter in the Bible uh, urges and charges believers to be ready at any point to give a defense to anyone who asks about the hope that is in us, right? And so we need to be prepared with answers. And so this morning, we're continuing our Advent sermon series uh, called, Is the Story Really True? And we just came out of a sermon series in Isaiah where um, we saw a ton of prophecies and texts that pointed forward to a Savior, to a promised Messiah King that would come and save his people. And that has springboarded us into this new sermon series where we are showing proofs and uh, uh, that it all pointed to Jesus, that it ultimately was fulfilled in Christ. And so as pastors, we wanted to design a uh, sermon series to help better equip you as a believer to be able to answer questions about the faith that people are asking in regards to Jesus's birth, you know, especially during Advent season. But we also wanted to design a sermon series to uh, help those that don't consider themselves to be Christians to also be able to Uh, better understand why Christians believe what we believe. And so over the last several weeks, we've seen... We've seen, uh, we've answered questions about like, what is a Messiah and how did Jesus fulfill the role of Messiah? And so today we're going to be answering another major question of the faith. And the question is this, was it necessary for the Son of God to become incarnate? Was it necessary for the Son of God to become incarnate? This was a question posed by a theologian by the name of Francis Turretin. 
There you go. Uh, which, as you can see, he has an amazing hairdo. I wish I had hair like that. It would be amazing, the things I do with that hair. Um, <laughs> but he uh, wrote a book uh, answering the questions of his day about Jesus. And so his book has been a helpful guide and resource that we've been using in this sermon series. And the answer to this question that he posed of, was it necessary for the Son of God to become incarnate? Uh, the answer, according to Scripture, is yes, as we will see today, right? And also Francis Turretin uh, affirmed this in his book. He believed that it was necessary for um, Jesus to become a man. And so he gives a reason. He summarizes the reason why he believed that was necessary. And he said this, in one word, he became incarnate so that he could serve as mediator so that he could serve as mediator. And the Bible passage where Turretin backs up this claim is in 1 Timothy 2.5. And so let's turn our Bibles there. 1 Timothy 2.5. This is going to be our main passage and it's going to kind of help us understand exactly what we're talking about today and will be our guide for the rest of the day. Verse 5 says, it's just one verse. It says, for there's one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. And so Turretin says that it was necessary for Jesus to uh, become a man so that he could serve as our mediator. That's the reason. That's the purpose. He became a man. And so with that in mind, uh, the main thing I want us all to walk away with today is this. Because Jesus came to serve as mediator between us and God, we can now be at peace with God. I'll say it one more time. This is what I want uh, sticking with you today. Because Jesus came to serve as mediator between us and God, we can now be at peace with God. All right? And so we're going to be answering a couple, uh, a few questions to help us understand why it was necessary for Jesus to uh, serve as mediator in a little bit more depth. And so we're going to be uh, answering the following questions. There's four questions that we're going to be answering today. What is a mediator, right? We want to define what that is according to scripture. Why are we in need of mediation? Was it necessary for Jesus to be both God and man? And what did his mediation accomplish, all right? That's where we're heading today. That's what we're going to be breaking down. And so let's answer the first question. <clears throat> what is a mediator? What is a mediator? Well, the Greek word in, uh, used in 1 Timothy 2, 5 for mediator is amicitaies, which is uh, essentially a reconciler, a, um, an intercessor, and a go-between. And so one uh, a mediator, in a very broad sense, is one who mediates. That is one who acts as an intermediary uh, to work with opposing sides in order to bring about a settlement, okay? And so a mediator attempts to reconcile two uh, opposing sides, two estranged parties, um, and tries resolving the dispute, right? And so they essentially serve as a bridge between the two sides. And the role of mediator is very evident in Scripture. Um, examples of mediators in the Old Testament included prophets, priests, and kings, right? For example, the prophet would bring the word of God directly from God to the people, right? And then the kings would bring, the, uh, bring about God's rule to bear on the people. 
And then the priests would also represent the people of God uh, as they came into God's presence. And so these mediators essentially worked in between both sides in order for there to be a relationship between the two sides. But there's still so many scenarios today in which it's necessary to call in a mediator. It's very common in our day. Uh, And these scenarios could include like family issues, business issues, legal issues, and so forth, right? I've been called in to mediate a few family issues in my time. Actually, back in the day, they used to call me Dr. Phil Jr. because of how good of a mediator I was, right? So I could have had my own TV show, guys. That would have been amazing. Um, No, but what I found necessary for a mediator to do is to be a really good listener and try to understand both parties really, really well. And so your hope is actually that the two parties would really listen to each other and try understanding the other side really well as well. And so uh, you would do this um, in hopes of reconciling the two parties and, and resolving the dispute and issues at, at hand. And if you're able to successfully accomplish that, then you can uh, set forth a plan to help with communication and transparency um, in the relationship moving forward so that it doesn't ever get that bad again, right? And so mediation is very, very common in day. But where the Bible is so specific and clear about the role of a mediator is in regards to Jesus, right? He's considered to be the only mediator between God and man. He's the only mediator. And he's actually what every other mediator in, in redemptive history, prophets, kings, and priests actually pointed towards. Right? And so, yes, it was necessary for Jesus to become a human so that he could serve as our mediator. So this begs the following question, then. Why are we in need of mediation? Why are we in need of mediation, then? Well, we're in need of someone to serve as mediator between us and our relationship with God due to our sin. Sin is the major issue between us and God. Prior to sin entering the world, there was no bridge needed between God and humanity because humans had complete access to God. Adam and Eve, right? They had complete access to God. But that all changed with sin. That all changed with sin. Now, and the Bible is very clear that uh, there's a huge contrast between God, who is holy and just, and humans who are sinners by the virtue of the sin that we inherited from Adam and the sin that we commit on a daily basis. So sin is considered to be cosmic rebellion, cosmic treason against a holy God, and it's his dispute with us, right? Therefore, no human can access God's presence on their very own, and that's why God chose to have mediators like prophets, kings, and priests all throughout redemptive history to be able to mediate between God and the people of Israel. And what's necessary to understand is that in our sinful nature, uh, we love sin above God. We love sin above God, and therefore we are enemies of God. We're hostile to God. In our sinful nature, there is no peace with God. That's the true status and reality of our relationship to and with God apart from Christ. It is not good. 
It is not good. For example, there are several stories during times of war and hostility between nations where uh, people get taken in as prisoners of war. They get captured as prisoners of war. And over all the stories that I've heard of that, I've never heard of someone intentionally crossing enemy lines uh, to be able to offer uh, an uh, enemy like a cup of coffee from Starbucks and a game of Yahtzee thinking that there's not going to be any issues or repercussions to their action, right? No, enemies are enemies. They're hostile towards each other until the dispute is settled, right? And so similarly, us in our sin, in our sinful nature, we are hostile to God. We are at war with him because we want to establish ourselves as God, right? And we can't access God's presence on our own. And we can't achieve uh, and accomplish peace with God no matter how hard we try. We are enemies of God. And the Bible is clear that on, the only just penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23, right? It's death. And it's not just physically, it's spiritually. There's nothing that humans can do in order to save themselves. And without a mediator, we are destined to eternity in hell. For by ourselves, salvation from our sins are, is impossible. It's impossible. And that's why we are in need of a mediator. And his name is Jesus. So this begs the next question then. Was it necessary for Jesus to be both God and man? Was it necessary for Jesus to be both God and man? The answer is yes. Yes. The work of redemption to reconcile the broken relationship uh, with God and sinful human beings could only be done by a God-man. That is the necessary requirement in order to successfully uh, fill that role, fill that job, fill that vocation of mediator, right? And so in Jesus, you have both the human nature and the divine nature conjoining, right? And as I said before, a mediator serves as a uh, go-between uh, that represents the interests of both parties. And, and so Jesus is the only one that can fulfill that role, that job, that vocation of mediator uh, between both parties because he's the only one that has the qualifications and the experience in order to do that, right? Because he was 100% God and 100% human right? None of us have that sort of experience, but he does. He has the experience and the qualifications to do so, right? And for example, what makes you qualified for a job for the most part is experience, right? Yeah, you can have a degree in, in a field and be considered to be a uh, qualified expert in that field, but that still doesn't guarantee you a job, right? Like, I remember when I was um, in seminary, a lot of my seminary uh, friends that were graduating and looking for jobs as pastors were facing these difficulties, right? Because a lot of the churches that they were looking at, they were like, yes, we want a young, young pastor, very charismatic, but we want them to have 25 years of church experience in that role, right? It's like, it's essentially telling them, you know, when you were playing Legos at three years old, well, you should have been applying for pastoral jobs. You should have been in seminary at that point, right? Um, it's crazy. But what we see here is that the lack of experience many times disqualifies us from, uh, from a job, right? From a role. And so, now, when we're talking about the role, the job, the vocation of mediator between God and humanity, 
it'd be foolish for any human, any one of us, to try applying for that role and try mediating for ourselves before God because none of us have the qualifications. None of us have the experience that Jesus does. He was completely human and he was completely God, right? None of us have that sort of experience. And specifically as a man, Jesus experienced the, the depths of brokenness in humanity uh, by walking in our fallen world. He walked in our fallen world. And so he gets us. He understands us because he experienced humanity like us, and yet he never sinned. And a major reason Jesus had to become human was because the justice of God required that the same nature that sinned against him should pay for that sin. So that's why it was necessary for Jesus to become a man and take on the sins of his people to settle the dispute and satisfy God's justice. And so, yes, it was necessary for him, for him to be, uh, become incarnate, to be a man, but it was also necessary for him to be God, right? Because in order to carry the weight, bear the weight of wrath and anger against sin and humanity, they, he needed to be God in order to secure our salvation and our eternal future with him. So in, so in order to carry that weight, the mediator needed to be God as well. And that's exactly what Jesus was. And so we have, we have you know, the divine nature, the human nature uh, brought together in the person of Jesus, right? And, and this is the way that God deemed as the best way to reconcile us back to him and secure our salvation. So it's amazing to see that God, even though we were hostile to him, even though we were his enemies, even though we were at war with him because we want to establish ourselves as gods, in his love, he decided to break into this world to reconcile us back to him. So this begs the final question. What did his mediation accomplish? What did his mediation accomplish? Well, it accomplished peace with God. It accomplished peace with God. We are no longer enemies with God because Jesus is the bridge that reconciled us back to God the Father. And as we've seen, peace, trying to... Uh, to uh, accomplish peace for ourselves, establish peace for ourselves is impossible by our own power and strength, right? There's no work in us good enough to be able to earn our acceptance with God. And as we've seen, we don't have the qualifications nor the experience to fulfill this role as mediator. And so it's foolish to mediate for ourselves before God, right? Peace with God and humanity could only be accomplished by one person, his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And humanity was meant to live in peace with God. That's how it was always meant to be. But sin destroyed that and continues to destroy that uh, for those that refuse Jesus' offer of salvation. But those who place their faith and trust in the person of Jesus and his finished work and are thankful uh, that he is their savior, he's the only way to God, and we profess with our mouth that he's our Lord and savior, there is peace for us. We are at peace with God. And we see this in Romans 5.1. Romans 5.1 says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith in who? In Christ, 
We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace is only accomplished through the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does it mean to have peace with God? It means a few things. It means our our dispute with God has been settled because God's justice has been satisfied. Secondly, it means that we are no longer enemies of God. We are no longer at war with God. We are no longer hostile to him. And not only that, finally, it means that not only are we not his enemies, but he calls us his family. We're his children. We are his. All of his blessings are ours forever and ever. And so Jesus being our mediator and accomplishing peace between God and humanity is the good news of the gospel. This is good news for you and me. And so why, so I want to, I want to start here uh, uh, quickly recapping everything we've seen thus far. We've seen that Jesus, that because Jesus came to serve as our mediator between us and God, we can now be at peace with God. We can now be at peace with God. And we saw that in our sin, we are enemies of God and that we are in need of mediation because there is no peace between the two sides. But thankfully, Jesus is the one who's fit to fulfill the role, the job of mediator because he's the God-man needed for the job. And we've seen that Jesus, his mediation successfully accomplished peace between humanity and God. And that is good news. And so why does all of this matter? Why is this important? Uh, What's the necessary implications of this? And what are we being called to? Well, we are called to be heralds of the good news of salvation. We are called to be heralds of this good news of salvation. If we keep on reading the rest of uh, Paul's thoughts in 1 Timothy, we see that he's like, wow, this is good news that Jesus is the mediator between God and humanity, and he's accomplished peace for the two parties. This is good news of the gospel. Therefore, God is calling me to share this good news, to proclaim this good news, and to teach this good news to others. Because that's the, that's the necessary implication of being a beneficiary of the good news of salvation. We see this in 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 7. We saw verse 5, but let's keep on reading. It says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. Verse 7, For this, I was appointed a herald, an apostle. I am telling the truth, and I am not lying, and a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. He says, for this, essentially for this reason, because of what God has done through Christ, I'm now being called to share this good news of salvation to others. And this is true for all of us as well. And so what does sharing the gospel look like? I wanted to take a few moments to be very practical here um, uh, because um, I want you, I want to help you take your next steps in order to be able to share the gospel with others because this can be a very intimidating thing for many of us, right? Uh, and and that's, that's respectable, right? But at the same time, that doesn't exempt us from this call. None of us as believers that have placed our faith in Jesus are exempt from this call. And so I want to help us understand what the sharing the gospel 
look like. And so I'm going to take a few moments to do that. Now, obviously, sharing the gospel uh, is speaking up about the gospel message uh, to people, right? But we also learn in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verse 8, that Paul teaches us that it's important to share the gospel, but not only that, our lives as well. And the relational aspect of sharing the gospel is a very, very neglected piece. Um, and, and it's actually one of the most crucial pieces in, in evangelism, right? Uh, because being a bold herald of the gospel isn't just going out there, grabbing a megaphone, going to the nearest street corner and, and you know, preaching the gospel and, and uh, giving out um, Bible tracts, right? Nor is it cold calling every uh, non-believer in your contact list until they pick up, right? They're going to avoid you like they avoid the car insurance guy, right? You know, the guy that's like, hey, I've been reaching you about your car's limited warranty, right? They're going to lump you in with that guy. Do not be that guy, right? Um, <laughs> now, uh, I've seen and done these things growing up in the church that I grew up in when I was way, way younger. Um, and, and I'm not bashing those that do these methods, by the way, because uh, God bless them, because at least they're doing something rather than nothing, right? Um, and so, uh, but as I've grown, as, as I've um, uh, learned more about like uh, what evangelism is, I've realized that the relational aspect is so crucial because that lays the foundation, a solid foundation for you to be able to uh, preach the gospel to someone else. And so I want to give you uh, today before we leave just four simple things that you can start doing today to help make it easier for you to get to that point of being able to share the gospel message with others. And so it's primarily focused on like what does sharing our lives look like? And so four simple things we can do to get to that point. And so first is open up your calendar. Open up your calendar. Life is and always will be busy and hectic, but that isn't an excuse to not make time for this. So make sure to leave dates on your calendar to be able to meet with people, right? Second is open up your home. Open up your home. Invite someone that is far from God, that doesn't know about Jesus, into your home for dinners and hangouts. And if it doesn't work at your home, go to theirs be invited first. You make sure they invite you. Don't go like creeping around their, you know, their window like, hey, can I come in? Right? No. Make sure you're invited, all right? Um, and then third, open up your heart, right? Open up your heart. Start loving on them. Share the love of Jesus, right? Care for them. Share their burdens, right? And, and also, in opening up your heart, it's okay to be vulnerable and transparent, right? Christianity isn't about perfection, it's about the one who came and lived the perfect life, right? And so we point them to Jesus by opening up our heart, right? And finally, open up the Bible. Open up the Bible. After a solid foundation to the relationship has been established, share how God has shaped your story and tell them about how God is inviting them into his story. Amen? Open up the Bible. Share the gospel. And so as we leave today, I want to challenge you with this. Who will you proclaim the good news to this Advent season? Who will you proclaim the good news to this Advent season or beyond? Maybe it starts this Advent season of praying and thinking through, like, who is God putting in your heart to share the gospel message to? 
listen to who God is placing in your heart. And so we're going to take the next few moments to uh, thank God for the good news of the gospel. If you are an unbeliever, if you do not uh, profess Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, I just want to give you the next uh, few moments to reflect on the cross Jesus' death on the cross, and that you can have, he offers you peace with God, a peace that you can never fully understand in this life, but you can have that peace. God uh, is offering that to you, and so my hope is that you would take that next step of faith uh, with the Lord. And then for those that are Christians, that are believers, uh, let's thank God for the good news of salvation, that he is our mediator, and that we are now at peace with God. We are no longer enemies. We are his family. We are his children. Amen. And so let's take time to thank him for that. And also let's take a few moments to pray for the people that God is stirring in our hearts to share the gospel to. Amen. The sermon you've just listened to is a presentation of Church Newtown Square. To find out more about our church, check out churchnsq.org. That's C-H-V-R-C-H-N-S-Q.org. You are welcome to copy and distribute this sermon to others as long as you do not do it for commercial purposes or alter, transform, or build upon this talk in any way.